and then to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and finally 1 Timothy chapter 2. In Psalm 92, we'll start with verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And then to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, starting with verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. And then finally, to 1 Timothy chapter 2, first seven verses. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Not sure if uh, you saw the news this past week and uh, the video called The Great Realization. That is a, a poem by a young poet here in London, yay, uh, named Tom Roberts. Uh, but this video just went viral this week. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I do encourage you to find it online and watch it. It really is uh, quite uh, encouraging. It's hopeful. It's heartwarming. Uh, and I think it's really taken a lot of people by storm. It had, uh, within just a few days, more than 18 million views uh, which is really something quite extraordinary uh, for a poet and, and for a piece of work like that. Uh, the title is called The Great Realization by Tom Roberts. The Great Realization by Tom Roberts. And uh, the poem, actually, it envisions how 
the coronavirus situation could actually make the world a better place. Uh, in this poem, it imagines a time, uh, it's, it's actually uh, from a time uh, in the future after all of this has passed and a vaccine has been found where human beings discovered that the changes in their lives that they made during the time of the pandemic were actually good changes and they wanted to maintain those changes uh, in their lives. Uh, it's very, very hopeful and very encouraging. It's interesting that already uh, a YouGov poll that they've taken suggests that only 9% of people in the UK, only 9% of people in the UK want to return to normal, whatever that is, uh, after the coronavirus lockdown is over. Only 9% want to go back to life exactly like it was. Now, even though God has not sent this pandemic, uh, and certainly not sent it as a judgment on our world, and even though it has emerged uh, from uh, a sinful context, uh, at the same time, this pandemic is presenting us opportunities to flourish right now. And God is allowing us to use this or is using this in our lives and actually, I would dare say, in our world to give us an invitation to flourish, an invitation to thrive in this season. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we flourish in this time of the pandemic and beyond? I want to suggest a few ways that we can flourish during this time. And then I'm also going to suggest uh, some of the things that we should look out for once the coronavirus pandemic situation is over. Because we as Christians are going to need to embrace some new disciplines and some new ways of living if we are going to be, in, uh, uh, I almost said infective, uh, uh, which is probably okay, or, or effective, uh, at the end of this situation uh, and maybe infective of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we do to flourish right now? One of the things that I've learned from Karen uh, and learned from the Bible and learned from watching gardeners, I, I stay away from gardening as much as I can personally, but one thing I learned from watching other people is that sometimes we need to trim we need to trim things away. We need to trim things that aren't productive. Or maybe sometimes we trim things that are a little bit too fruitful, uh, too productive, but are jeopardizing the health of the whole plant. We need to cut back, trim things away in order for the plant to flourish. Uh, in the same respect, if we're going to flourish in this season, I think that we're doing some trimming. Uh, and, uh, and by trimming, I mean we're simplifying. And I think... God is calling us to simplify our lives in quite a number of ways if we want to flourish uh, during this time. The first way that we simplify, uh, the first way that we flourish is by simplifying our lifestyle. Simplifying our lifestyle. Now, I'm not talking about something legalistic here. One of the problems that we often get into as Christians when we're talking about something like this is we want to develop a certain set of rules. As you can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, I'm not saying that. 
but we need to simplify our lifestyle. We need to embrace what I'd call a righteous lifestyle, righteous living. Uh, what is righteous living? It's having a right relationship with God, with people, and then with God's creation according to God's standards. Having a right relationship with God first, people, and then God's world, God's creation, according to God's standards, seeking the peace and prosperity of the community in which God has placed us. We all have a responsibility to go after the peace, the shalom, God's wholeness in whatever community God has placed us in and seek the prosperity of that community, every single person in the community, whether or not they're Christians. And that's righteous lifestyle. As, as the psalmist said here, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Not only then if we pursue righteous living, if we live righteously, not only do we experience the peace and prosperity of our community, but also we experience a benefit, excuse me, in terms of our relationship with God. We grow in that. We, we live more fruitfully in the presence of God. Now, a second aspect of simplifying our lifestyle is to embrace what I call wartime living. Uh, and I actually learned this. Uh, I was going to tell you the missiologist that I learned this from, uh, Ralph Winter. Oh, man, I almost forgot his name. He's gone to be with the Lord. Uh, he was the director of the U.S. Center for World Missions for many years. But he talked about this wartime lifestyle and that Christians needed to embrace a wartime lifestyle. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, first of all, he meant that the world is good. You know, this is not like we're at war with the world. Uh, a wartime lifestyle embraces the reality that God created the world uh, from his goodness, uh, and it's a blessing. It's not something that we just flee away from. But also, it's an understanding that in this creation that God has made, we are in a war. We are in a spiritual battle right now, both for our own lives, for our children, and also for the lives of people around us. Satan wants to drag people, keep people in his kingdom. We live in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we want to see people transferred from uh, Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. This is a battleground. And so a wartime lifestyle remembers that. Uh, it also remembers that even though God created the world good, that sin is dangerous. That if we sin, if we don't repent, if we don't deal with sin in our own lives, if we allow sin to go unchecked in our world, it's dangerous. We see that in the coronavirus. As I've said before, it came out of sinful behavior from human beings. Uh, so we're in a good world uh, but we're in a battle, and sin is very dangerous in that battle. Uh, for us as Christians, sin can become very debilitating uh, and destructive for us. So one of the things that's required is self-denial. We take up our cross. We follow Jesus daily. We deny ourselves. That means that we don't give in to every pleasure that we want. Uh, that we don't do everything that we necessarily want to do, that there are some values uh, that are greater than the values of self-fulfillment. So there's self-denial, and 
because of all of this, then, we learn to allocate our resources to fulfill our mission. And that's really the heart of a wartime lifestyle. We allocate our resources to fulfill our mission. Now, what is our mission? To advance the kingdom of God. To see people all around the world uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ, be discipled, become effective disciples, and become planted in churches and see the church grow uh, and, and spread across the world. This is our mission. And so we allocate our resources according to our mission. Uh, and that means that sometimes, like for me in my own life, uh, I won't think anything about spending a lot of money on a computer because a computer is essential for the mission that I'm doing. But I won't spend a lot of money on clothes. Uh, I'll try to minimize the amount of money I spend on food. Uh, that uh, I won't always buy a new car. In fact, uh, we've only had, <clears throat> only had one new car in our lives. And that was a long time ago now. Uh, you know, there, there are certain things that are really important for my mission, and I'm going to invest most of my resources in that mission. One of the things, if you have kids, uh, one part of your mission is to make sure that your kids are trained up in the way of the Lord, that they walk with Jesus Christ, and so you need to invest your resources to ensure that your children are following Jesus. By resources, it's your time, uh, it's your money, it's your attention, you know, all of these kinds of things. So we allocate our resources to fulfill our mission, remembering the last part of this, that this will actually lead us to real joy. You know, a wartime lifestyle in the, in the Christian faith is not a dour kind of experience. It's something that actually will release us into a deeper place of joy and fulfillment as we live for the Lord Jesus. So as we simplify our lifestyle, we embrace righteous living, we embrace that wartime living, uh, and, uh, and we also learn how to enjoy the beauty and the simple pleasures of life. You know, this is not about being mean-spirited or, or, or miserable. Uh, God has given us so much beauty God has given us a world to enjoy. God has given us things in our lives to enjoy. I, I love what uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Even in this moment of the lockdown and the pandemic, we've seen such moments of beauty as people have sacrificed themselves for the well-being of others, uh, as people have envisioned a more positive future. Uh, there's so much beauty that's happened even in the midst of all this suffering and all this ugliness. The cooperation among scientists globally and so many other things are, have been genuinely beautiful. And Solomon goes on to say, I perceived that there is nothing better for us as people than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Be joyful, do good, eat, drink. It's my favorite part of the verse. Uh, and, uh, and take pleasure in all my toil. I mean, that's a way to simplify our lives. And our lives have gotten so complex. But not only do we need to simplify our lifestyle, we need to simplify our relationships. We need to make sure that we're prioritizing our immediate family, mom, dad, kids. Uh, the most important relationship for your children 
if you have kids, is the relationship between mom and dad. Absolutely the most important. Um, and, uh, and so we need to make sure that we're prioritizing that. We also need to make sure that we're prioritizing our church family, that all the busyness and stuff of life doesn't push out spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we rightly understand the priority of family and church uh, and church family, these things are never at odds. These things are never at odds rightly understood. And then it's about our work relationships and, and other regular relationships that we have, uh, friends, extended family, etc. And many of those won't be Christians. And we need to be spending time with non-Christians whenever we can. We need to be hanging out and developing friendships because we have to remember that just like the coronavirus spreads through person-to-person -person contact, so the gospel virus spreads from person-to-person -person contact. But we need to simplify those relationships. And a lot of times we get caught up in a lot of complex, complicated, difficult relationships. You know what? Sometimes we just need to walk away from those relationships. If those relationships are taking our time, our energy, our resources away from those vital relationships that we need, then we need to walk away. You know, Jesus walked away from relationships, and he let people walk away from him, and we need to be willing to do the same. Another way that we simplify, uh, that we can flourish in this season, uh, is to simplify our ambitions and our aspirations. I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, there was a point when I was young, and I knew I was going into ministry, you know, I thought, hey, I'm going to have big churches, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to do this, that, or the other thing. And, and I had some really big aspirations, some really big ambitions. And you know, some of those weren't wrong. Some of them were because I was feeding into my own pride uh, and self-centeredness. Uh, but many times we get big ambitions. We want to build a big business. We want to uh, have a, a big family. We want to get a new car every year or have a bigger house. And, you know, and a lot of these things aren't bad. A lot of these things aren't bad. But we really need to learn how to simplify our ambitions and our aspirations. Now, to do that, first we aim to please the Lord. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, so we make it our aim to please Him. Our aim, primary aim, our primary ambition, our primary aspiration in life should be to please God, to please the Lord who has saved us. That is our aim. Uh, I want to please God. Uh, if City Temple never gets to be a huge church, that's okay. If, if my life is, you know, ends tomorrow, that's okay as long as I please God. That's my ambition. It's my one overarching ambition in life to please the Lord. We also can aim to do what is honorable in the Lord's sight as well as in the sight of people. As Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight but also in the sight of man. We need to aim to live an honorable life so that God would honor us 
by saying, yeah, well done, good and faithful servant. And even so that other people, when they look at how we're living our lives, they say, wow, there's something different. There's something excellent about that person. We also need to aim not to do anything out of selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is that spirit of competition where we just got to get ahead. We, we need a little bit more. We need to, to, to have more money, uh, a better situation, a better job. At, but it's not to do good. It's not to bring resources into our wartime lifestyle. Uh, it's just so we can feel better, so, so uh, we, we feel more significant or more secure, more accepted. Uh, and that's selfish ambition. And, you know, as, as uh, Paul tells us in Philippians, he says, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more important than yourself. We need to be looking out for other people, not be looking out for number one explicitly. And then Paul, in this passage that we read in 1 Timothy, I mean, he says this, he says, uh, you know, to pray for leaders, pray for people in authority, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now what Paul is saying here essentially is that we need to aim to live an inwardly calm an outwardly tranquil life. We have peace on the inside and peace on the outside. Inwardly calm, outwardly tranquil life, completely devoted to God and morally honorable. Making sure that we're committed to the Lord 100% and we want to live to the highest moral standards possibly because this is our witness in the world. When people see us as Christians, inwardly calm and outwardly calm, they'll wonder, they'll wonder, what is this? What is going on here? And unfortunately, many times as Christians, we've not pursued this inner peace. We thought maybe by worshiping more or doing more outward things, we'll get the more inward peace. Uh, but actually, the inward peace comes from our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And we can pursue the tranquil outward life, but sometimes we don't get there because we've just allowed ourselves to be so busy. And busyness is one of the big enemies of tranquility. I've really been trying to fight this personally during this time of lockdown. I think I've shared before that uh, the pressures have been much greater than they were in some respects before lockdown happened. But I'm trying to take a step back and resist the tyranny of the urgent to choose a less busy way of living so that I can focus more on the Lord. And it's been interesting what's happened because it's really renewed my Bible study and scripture reading. I've heard the Lord speak to me a lot more clearly in these past couple of weeks. Now, I'm a kind of guy who, who hears God speaking through the scriptures all the time, but it's just really gone up a notch in my life. And if it's happened for me, I can imagine what can happen uh, for everybody else. Now, another way that we can flourish uh, during this time is to simplify our gospel. Simplify our gospel. Now, you know, we all know there's only one gospel. 
But you know what happens over time is that everybody tends to distort and complicate the gospel for their own ends or to meet their own needs. Uh, and, you know, church life, I mean, we've seen this in churches, how, how busy churches have been doing so many things that have not really been related to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, good community centers, good activities and things like that. But where is the gospel in what they're doing? I mean, one of the things we always tried to do here at City Temple was directly connect our activity in conferencing and room hire with the gospel by making sure that everybody that works here at City Temple can share their faith to anybody who might be in the building at any time. And we've had many opportunities to do that. But in some places, you know, hiring out a room is nothing more than a way to get a, a few extra quid uh, in, the church's, uh, in the church's bank account. Uh, we need to simplify, simplify our gospel. We need to remember, as Paul said in that passage I read, that God desires all people to be saved. And notice how in the text, Paul connects that quality of living, the quality of living, the quality of ambitions where we're aiming to live a peaceful and tranquil life, uh, fully devoted to God, living in a morally honorable way. Paul connects that directly to God's desire that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's a very important link there between the way that we live our lives and our ability to share our gospel with other people. We need to remember God wants everybody on the world, in the world, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, not everybody will, but God's desire, God's delight, God's joy would be in everyone coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we need to remember there is one God there is one mediator between God and man. There is one cross, one person who's given himself up, one ransom for our lives, and that is Jesus Christ. There's no other way that people can be saved except through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the mediator between us and God. He is the one who has brought us together through his cross. He is the one who gave his life on the cross, shed his blood on the cross, to pay the ransom for our sins so that we could be released from slavery to sin, slavery to the world, and slavery to the devil so that we could really live our lives in freedom. It's Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And so we need to take every opportunity that we have to share Jesus with people, but we need to do it in a simple and friendly way. It's the simple gospel. It's not the complicated gospel. People don't have to do a dance and do a, a, a pirouette or something like that to be saved. They need to simply surrender their lives to Jesus Christ by God's grace through faith. And as they do that, they come into that relationship. They will be saved and they will come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, so we need to simplify our gospel and make sure that we are sharing the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to simplify in, this, in, in these ways. We need to simplify our lifestyle. We need to simplify our aims, our aspirations. We need to simplify our gospel. 
absolutely essential, and we need to seek God's kingdom. I messed you up there, didn't I? Uh, so the last one is not simplify, it's actually to seek. We need to be looking for something, uh, and that is the kingdom of God. This is God's loving rulership in every aspect of our lives, our work, our families, our homes, our schools. We want to see God ruling in and through us and in and through others, wherever we are, whatever we do. We, it's about putting, make our priorities what glorifies God, what advances his agenda, not what advances our agenda. We need to seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, goes back to righteous living, and God's going to take care of all the other things that we need in our lives. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit like what Solomon said. God has put eternity in our hearts. We all know that there is something more than this world, than this life. Anybody who reflects, anybody who thinks deeply, even the atheist will understand there's something more. And they, and they sense it, <clears throat> they feel it, they know it, and many people kind of stuff it aside. But God has put eternity in all of our hearts. We know that the, this world, this life is not the end uh, of everything. Uh, we also know, as Solomon says, that whatever God in, does endures forever. Whatever God in do, does endures forever. And so we need to be after his kingdom because what we do in him and what he does through us as part of his kingdom, that's what's going to last. That's what's going to go beyond the, the COVID-19 crisis and, and all of these situations that we're in. Uh, and I think these things are keys for us as his people to flourish during this lockdown, to flourish during this pandemic, no matter how long it lasts, we can flourish in these ways. But one day, it will all be over. One day, we won't be locked down. One day, we'll be circulating again. One day, life will be back to some semblance of normality, even if it's not normal as we understood it six months ago. So what do we need to do to flourish in that season? I want to suggest very briefly just a few things. Uh, these things are going to be key for us to live our lives fruitfully to flourish as Christians post-COVID-19. The first one, which will be very countercultural, is going to be hospitality. Hospitality is going to be one of the most powerful demonstrations of our faith in Jesus Christ. Right now, nobody really wants to open their home to the stranger. But we're going to have opportunities to do this uh, post-COVID-19, uh, and it's going to be a powerful witness, and we'll see people come to faith in Christ. Uh, another discipline, another activity that we'll need in this time, uh, skill, strength, whatever you want to call it, is frugality. We'll need to use our money well and use our resources well, allocate them appropriately. Uh, the proverb says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, 
but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So we can't trust in our money. We need to treat our resources with respect. We need to be good stewards, and that will be a key to our flourishing. Another key to our flourishing, and this is something that Simon mentioned in a prophetic word that he had, which I 100% agree with. Uh, another key is going to be generosity. Generosity. As Timothy said, as Paul tells Timothy uh, to tell people at the end of 1 Timothy in chapter 6, he says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the future. Generosity is going to be another hallmark of Christians during this time. A hallmark of Christians. First one's hospitality. Second one's frugality, generosity. Third one is self, or fourth one is self-discipline. We're going to need to learn how to discipline ourselves, our attention, the way we use our time, uh, as never before. But also, Christians will be known in this new season for their joy. We need to be people of great overflowing joy. Too often, Christians have not been people of joy. Uh, and God wants us to be a joyful people. And we're going to have to be people of grace. The last hallmark, grace. So often, Christians have been known as people who are against stuff. And we need to be known as people who are filled with grace. Not that we capitulate to sin. We won't do that. It's not about giving in to that. Uh, but it's about uh, resembling the character of our Father in heaven who is filled with grace. You know, COVID-19 is not good. There's nothing about it that's good. And I wish it was off the face of the earth. Uh, and I certainly wish that we never had to go through it. But we are here and the good news is that God can use that which is not good to produce good in our lives. Jesus has designed us to flourish. That is God's desire for us. That is Christ's desire for us. He saved us so that we would have life and have it to the full. That flourishing is part of God's desire for our lives. But as I said, sometimes in order to flourish, we need to be pruned. Uh, we need to have our environment changed. And to experience the best of this, we need to cooperate with the grace of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Cooperate with everything that God is doing. I believe that we are in a season right now where God is giving humanity, not just Christians, but humanity an opportunity to change. Sin has wrecked our world, and it continues to wreck our world. But God is giving us an opportunity to change. One of the things I've been so encouraged with in this season has been the redemption of the rainbow as a sign of hope. As children have, have created rainbows and put them in their windows to honor the NHS, it has transformed the rainbow from a sign of sometimes sinful activity into something that God intended it to be when he showed it to, Mo to Noah after the ark. A promise, a hope, 
a sign that God is for humanity. God desires everyone to experience his, his, his loving rulership. God desires everyone to know his grace, everyone to know his love. And this is an invitation. This is an opportunity that God has presented to humanity to turn away from their sin and turn toward Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to change their lives. And we, as God's people, are instruments in His hand, not only to flourish ourselves, but to point others to the truth in Jesus Christ that as we surrender our lives to Him, His desire is that we would have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do in us and through us. Now, Lord, I pray that everyone listening to this would flourish would come to know how they need to simplify their lives, how they need to seek the kingdom, that everyone would experience a flourishing during this time. And that flourishing would be a testimony to your greatness and goodness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.